0: you're listening to errol parker and clancy overall
1: editors of the batuta advocate on desert
0: rock fm
1: thanks for tuning in to afternoons with clancy and errol on desert rock fm and thank you to all those new podcast listeners out there as well we've got a big show coming up we're going to take a scalpel to some big stories in the news like we normally do and dissect it and break it down for all of you out there isn't that right, Clance? Yes, Errol. As our regular listeners are aware, we get a guest
0: in each week to have a bit of a yarn and talk us through whatever it is that makes them relevant enough to get the call up on our show. This week, we're going to have a bit of a chat to the former right-hand man of Kevin Rudd because there's been a bit of stuff going on down in Canberra over the last few months and uh, we want to get a bit of perspective from uh, you know, a former political staffer.
1: Today, we're going to be talking about political staffers and advisors. What makes them tick? It's a kind of job that entails all that self-relating smugness of politics, but without any of the power. It seems to be the only thing that these nerds are chasing anyway, though. Power. We've written about these types before, Clance. And one thing that we've learned is that a lot lot of them start out in the youth politics movements of universities, where they pretend to have a relatively good understanding of the world. Yep, that's a uh, trait that
0: most of these people need to carry into politics, given none of them seem to have any idea. And we'll delve into a couple of the stories we've done on these this particular demographic over the last little while, uh, most of which has struck a chord deep within the cogs of each major party, as many of the thin ties and ballet shoe-wearing bureaucrats are reminded of just how little... Um, our newspaper respects them and um, just how little the country as a whole respects them and their chosen careers. First up, this story came out of the gates last week. We caught up with a member of the Young Labor Party smoking a jazz cigarette outside the Rumpers Room SCAR venue in
1: South Brisbane. What was the headline on that one, Errol? Promising Young Labor Member Thankful for Working Class Values Passed Down by Art Critic Father in West End. Now, this was a
0: big one. This story kind of centred around the daughter of a prominent... West uh, End-based art critic who uh, says she wouldn't really be uh, nearly equipped enough to fight the good fight of low-level youth politics if her father hadn't instilled into her the humble sensibilities uh, most commonly associated with Australia's working class. Uh, Manila said to us that eventually Fairfax gave Dad a column when I was about to start high school, but before that he was having to play one or two gigs a week with his go-betweens cover bands just to pay the bills. You know, things were tough, um, as Manila pointed out, and that's why she got into politics. She said her old man would even have to set up a stall and sell mum's hand creams
1: and incense down at the markets on Sundays, just anything to get by. Manila said, it's not their fault that they're being misled and voting for the wrong party. All they do is work in factories and watch sport. Then she added, it's time to connect with these people again. Now,
0: some of the top comments on that uh, particular story we wrote... Um, will seem to get under a few people's collars. Uh, Pete Arbour from Sydney came in pretty hot. Uh, This was one of the highest-ranking comments we got on this story, was pretty much sums up Labor's entire political class and their inner-city constituents. Well, you know, you tell them, Pete. Um, You know, it's obviously something that's resonated with a lot of people. A lot of people think there might be an issue if this is where we are sourcing our politicians' From Peter from uh, the Apple Isle, a Hobart man, Peter Coney, also commented saying, Don't forget, her grandfather always paid his boys the highest wages above any other
1: mill. Now Clance, obviously it's quite easy to recognise and deconstruct the smooth-handed union organisation straight off the library lawn. But as anyone would be aware, this is a thing that goes both ways. And we were lucky enough to run into Manila's unofficial rival... From the other side of Brisbane, we have young liberal renegade Hugo Hugo. Griffin-Whiteley. And what was the headline there, Errol? The headline we ran for Hugo is uh, promising young lib thankful for typical Aussie upbringing between Ascot and Singapore. And uh, what did we learn about Hugo, Clancy? This story goes on to to describe the life and times of, yeah, Manila's...
0: A rival, as you would say, from the uh, university, lawn. this is a 20-something stamp collector that could easily be shortlisted to the top ranks of the coalition in the next 15 years, says he only joined the Young Liberal Party because he wanted to see Australia remain as fair and prosperous as he remembers it as a boy. Hugo Griffin Knightley, 24, says his typical Aussie upbringing, which saw him attending several international schools in Hong Kong and Singapore, while his father ran the comms arm for FedEx Asia Pacific before settling into an eight-bedroom timber manor in Brisbane's leafy inner north, meant that he got to meet people from all different walks of life. The inner-city elites are out of touch with the concerns of everyday Australians, says the young bloke, who spoke at a seminar last year dedicated to stopping schoolboys from wearing dresses. Where I grew up, Everyone got along, he says. As the former debating captain of a nearby elite all-boys school looks up to the top of the hill in Ascot and sees the Australian flag waving from the flagpole attached to his grandfather's castle-like colonial family home, Hugo says it's time for real Australians to take their country back from the whinging greens. Enough is enough, he says, adding, My great-grandfather didn't send Australian men to fight in two world wars for these kinds of date-changing soap dodgers to muck around with our way of
1: life. And some of the comments uh, left on that article, there's one from Louise Rowe from the uh, free city of Melbourne. She wrote, and like a typical Howard Battler, he's managed to save a deposit for two investment properties while studying his way through an MBA while working 16 hours a week at his dad's on the side real estate business. With hard work and free use of an entire inner city mansion, everyone should have the same opportunity. And another comment was uh, left by Neil Small of Brisbane fame. He wrote, And Dad coughed up the money to buy his way into student politics, ensuring a continuation of corruption and branch stacking, keeping the lower classes in their place. Disgusting. Jeez, Errol, things must be fucking
0: grim for this bloke if he's having to buy his way into youth politics. But, you know, that's obviously at a youth level. Um, These people grow up, you know, they grow up to be full-time Canberra robots as we touched on, the days after the Red Rooter affair, when the Prime Minister placed a sex ban in Parliament. And the headline of that was, Turnbull places yet another obstacle in the way of Liberal staffers ever getting a root. The Prime Minister's ban on in-house sex uh, had essentially condemned an entire generation of politicians to live life without ever knowing
1: what it feels like to come together with another human. Uh, We did get a few interesting comments on that one, Uh, I can assure you. There was one from Galen McCann uh, from Mackay. He said that the Batuta advocate was being a bit too harsh, he thought. What could be more attractive than wanting poor people to starve to death in a gutter? And then there was another one from Michael Green from Inverloch uh, down there in Victoria. He said, that's not fair. Soon they'll only be left with the country to fuck.
0: So, moving forward, we are talking about political staffers today, if you haven't already figured that out. We're talking about the snouts in the trough, you know, right across uh, right across the world, you know, in the background of politics, behind the figures that uh, create the policies that we argue over, you know, without fail. These are the Kushners of the world. These are the Ashby's of the world. These are the Credlins. These are the Campions. Big-screen depictions like Wag the Dog in the mix and West Wing pay homage to these influential figures who are the ears and the minds of important political figures and our guest who we will introduce shortly, Lockie Harris is one of those people and uh, is an authority on on this whole world but
1: Errol, political staffers. Yeah, staffers, well more specifically I think the, uh, what's the role of a politician's media advisor? Why does everyone need a media advisor from, you know, from your Malcolm Turnbulls to your Mark Coulton's? We've, we've
0: heard about advisors and of all varieties for many years now. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, James Ashby, who um, found himself in a bit of trouble a couple of times, you know, rose from the ashes and came back to cause more shit. Um, Peter Credlin, arguably the leader of the Liberal Party under the Abbott government, and now more recently the young... <laughs> Vicky Campion who you and I both know Erland is uh, yeah. than, we won't be um, running her down too much in this podcast but she
1: has found herself in a spot of trouble she got too close yeah which which kind of makes me think you know how how close does does a media advisor get to the, the, the person they're supposed to serve um, are they at arms shoulder reach or are they at Dick's reach
0: before I became Clancy, overall editor of the Petulia Advocate, I worked in this field, and you did too, Errol. Um, yeah. What was your take on it? It was obviously a while ago.
1: Well, I worked on the um, the, the Gordon Brown campaign, the uh, the, the, the last election um, in England. This is in yeah in England, and Gordon he um, he tried his best to form a government with uh, the Liberal Democrats, but it ended up um, going to shit, and uh, he went to um, her Majesty and said, look, I can't, I can't form a government here, so um, I'm going to have to resign as the Prime Minister, and the Queen said, um, right we'll last we'll David Cameron. And then that must hurt you as well as someone who worked uh, later? No, it's, 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 you know, it's just a thing that happened, and then afterwards I was offered a very plum job at the News of the World, but that only lasted about a year until I was um, caught fiddling with phones. Yeah, the... Uh, Few embarrassing moments in front of the Leveson inquiry there with
0: yeah and, and and it's hard to say it'd be hard for any journalist in this country to say that they don't have a history like that, whether they started yeah. as a journalist or ended up a journalist. Everyone's um you know and that's what we'll get to later with our guests. But you know I I myself I, and I you know I, I announce it might yeah. be a conflict of interest, but yeah I worked well, I worked under Brian Little proud under Sir Joe yeah you know he's um obviously the father of. Uh, David Littleproud now the current member for the Maranoa our local member yeah, and uh, he's a big no voter too so big no yeah. Maranoa right yeah. that's that, that's a thing and you know between 1983 and 1987 mate the shit we got away with you you wouldn't yeah. believe it. that was back when you could actually have people killed you know under the um well, under the corrugated iron curtain of sir joe the, mate you don't know what went down i mean obviously you do cuz i've told you over I a few know, beers
1: i know two good men which are buried under c- cloudland at the moment they were um you know, well, just as a journalist un, under Joe, you know, you, you sort of had to know your place. I know. And when you start talking to cops who don't know their place... Yeah. You know, the Dean brothers come in with the swinging
0: wrecking ball and all of a sudden you're part of a new uh, set of apartments. But, you know, like, in that in that era, you could have a pregnant mistress yeah. and she would be sent down south. You wouldn't have to, you know, you, you wouldn't have to confront... You wouldn't have to worry about front pages. You wouldn't have to worry about anything like that because... It was pre-social media, right? There was yeah. there was a lot less access, um, there was a lot less shit talk, and um, political staffers were completely in control of what was said. Well, we will introduce our guest now. He's had to sit yeah. through a lot. Today's guest is one of those figures that we're talking about. A uh, master of the dark arts, you could say. He is the man behind the most... Well, one of the men behind the most recognisable political campaigns in recent history. The campaign that swept the second longest serving Prime Minister out of power... and swept in one of the shortest serving Prime Ministers. That man is Lachlan Harris, one of the men behind Kevin 07. Harris, as well as being in the inner circle of the ministerial wing for a time... is also responsible for founding the now iconic swimwear label, Budgie Smuggler... the energy startup One Big Switch... and the controversial lobbying platform known as up. He has worked in business, media, politics... And he's here to have a chat with us about the lay of the land and the dark arts. Thanks for joining us, Lockie.
2: It's great to be here. I had no idea I was amongst such notorious but uh, experienced colleagues.
0: Yeah, well, there was a statute of limitations over a lot of the things we did, um, particularly in England. Firstly, Lockie, taking into account after that introduction, a lot of our listeners now dislike you a lot, um, as, as they might assume you were a snout in the trough. But please, we need to know a bit more about you, how you ended up in that position, yeah. and we know you got out. You know, Labor trains the best and keeps the rest, um, as do most political parties. Um, and, and and you might still have ties to um, the party with or without factions. We need to know what happened in your life that made you decide to spend your
2: mid-twenties standing next to Kevin Rudd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's obviously dropped as a child, I think, now I look back on it. But uh, look, I I should start to say that political staffers are like rugby league players. The vast majority of them are quite nice people who stay in the background, do their job, and you never hear about them. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's the occasional absolute fuck-up who turns up and they're the ones who end up in the media and everyone reads about because they, you know, do something outrageous, basically. But look, the vast majority of them are... Genuinely really hardworking, nice people, not that political, just yeah. doing a job. Right,
0: right, right. Well, tell us a little bit how you became uh, associated with the Labor
2: Party. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, I was not a very political kid when I was growing up. I just went to uni, like everyone, and I was actually working for the Courier Mail, which is another great and august journal, the mm-hmm. Aboriginal newspaper here in Australia. Uh, and I was doing a lot of time up in the Territory and, and that sort of stuff. And I think it was in about 2002 or two, early 2003 and I think I just saw a job in the paper to tell you the truth I mean like it was there was the shadow uh, the assistant advisor to the shadow indigenous affairs minister and this was when Labor was at at its absolute lowest nadir 2003 under Crean under Crean yeah. and I honestly think <laughs> I seriously think no one else put an application in I, mean, I, I was def- I'd been to law school I'd worked a bit as a journo but I was like 23 as green as and I just think it was one of those things where yep. Labor was so low in the in the polls, and so in just so it would seem so impossible they'd ever win that yeah.
1: no one else wanted the job. Yeah, right. So moving on, um, you went from that job, um, so, so you finally had your foot in the door at the uh, at the at the ALP. Yeah. How was the journey going from there to uh, yeah. to being in the box seat? Because <laughs> you're not a well, Queenslander no, as well. I know, we, I should, know, we should we should mention no. that you and and you're not an academic like Kevin either so that's the understatement of the year. yes uh look
2: it's i first of all it's great fun if you like politics canberra is like go down and work in parliament house it's really good fun it's like it's kind of like you know if you're a skier working at threadbow like yeah. if you're a fanatic you love it and so for five years i just put my head down and and stuck around like it's one of those jobs the vast majority of people churn out after two years because it's like Without any word of exaggeration, it is seven days a week, three hundred and sixty-five days a year. Yep. So for most of that time, I would have a call, a, a conference call at six fifteen every morning, mm-hmm. and and at six thirty every night, and that was three hundred and sixty-five days a year. And d- days that you think you're going to Christmas Day, <laughs> Easter Sunday, New Year's Day—they're really busy days in federal politics. So. If you can stick it out, there's lots yeah. of opportunities. But most people burn
1: out after a couple of years and just go like, "I'm going to go and have a life." Thanks, I'm out of here. In your opinion, like, did you spend that much time on the road, face to face, hand in hand with Kevin Rudd? <laughs> I spent a lot know. of
2: time with him, but I'm still single. If that's what you're asking,
0: did <laughs> you didn't he didn't make you pregnant? No,
2: yeah. that would have been very difficult. Um, no, look, I don't want to. I don't want to stick the boot into Barney yeah. everyone else had a go, but. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not easy, like and it's very destructive. Politics is just like a flamethrower to family life. There's no doubt about that. Whether you're married, yeah. single, in like got a girlfriend, a boyfriend, yada, yada. And that's because like it's a bloody big country, federal politicians have to travel around. And I do I really respect anyone who has the balls to go in and do it or the the gumption to go in and do politics and if they can hold their family together, quite frankly, that's the exceptional event. The blow-ups, yeah. the break-ups, the affairs. To me, we've almost designed this industry to destroy family life in many ways. You know, we create, create a city in Cambridge, which was the capital. They spend 26 weeks, there, 26 weeks a year there. Everyone there is away from their families. You work late, you kind of drink a lot it's an absolute catastrophe and then between that 26 weeks the senior guy guys and girls travel the whole time as well so yeah. i don't i don't sort of sit around when i see politicians like self exploding basically their life it's kind of like that's what the system's set up to do in yeah. some ways or it's an almost inevitability the exceptional event is the person who goes in works 20 years and has a great life and a great great marriage and survives that yeah. is very unusual like like bob carter you know yeah. um, what we'd say
0: is probably one of the few sensible men down there and, and might uh, be the hat might well the he's hat. he's
1: he's probably he is probably one of the last truly honest people down there because he's only got one party to answer for and he's and he's in charge of it so yeah look i think he hasn't got any of the red tape that ties him it's up very easy to be authentic it's very easy to
2: be authentic when you don't have any power it's bloody hard the other way around, let me tell you. Well, under, Ooh. under. <laughs> oh. I can, I come to Kennedy sometimes,
0: <laughs> mate? I, I think, I think uh,
1: but you know, boy, we, we will yeah, we will wrap the, there on um, those defamatory comments about Bob Catter. All right, so let's take it back to the beginning. How did a boy from pre gentrification Balmain find himself turning his back on on big business, on on progress, on on? economic capitalization of the working class how did you end up with an alp logo over your heart on the Uh, team shirt that's an interesting question i've never like do you know
2: i actually think for me i'm the youngest of five boys right yeah like and we're very close in age my brother is my oldest brother is five and a half years older than me and so we grew up in a tribal fight basically like and it was great it was amazing I had an incredible upbringing I it was a race to the top brothers. for attention yeah. was it a race to it, the it top was, it was there was a lot of there was a lot of fighting for attention there's a lot of fighting and scrapping for everything but yeah. actually my brothers we were very close and i think it just gave me this heightened sense of what bullying is and how much i just cannot stand it and it's more because my brothers didn't bully me that much i think we we're in such an environment where there was a perfect hierarchy where it could have happened but i just had this I don't know, this sense of kind of bullies. like, And I just felt like at that time, and I don't, I'm not suggesting the Labor Party is always on the right side of this argument, and the other side's always on the wrong side, but at that time in history, with the Indigenous stuff, with the government being in power for seven or eight years and just sticking it to these people, I was just like, that is bullying. Like, yeah. And I was just like, yeah. basically, fuck that. Like, so you're, you, I'm going to go in there and do something about well, that. It wasn't that complex. Do you, you
0: think some of that came from your... From your uh... Um, your mother's side the, the the Rossi the Italian
2: like you know the, was there any element I of that was it's there a big bit like, like a, I went to a Jesuit school like a big big, big definitely social justice Italian kind yeah. of Northern Italian by the way mm, he's, a fair, <laughs> he's, a, he's a fair little uh, fair skinned little Italian not like those Southerners yeah, yeah. I'm about yeah. as Italian as, as Stella Ratois beer unfortunately <laughs> um, look it, yeah definitely the sense of social justice came from there but I think I don't know I think Look, po- politics changes a lot and parties come and go. But at that point in time, I think the government, I think the, the, the Howard government at that very moment was suffering from pretty se- severe political hubris.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah.
2: they needed... It was just crying out to come in and sort of... And punch back, basically. Yep. And I'm not suggesting that... Costello couldn't do that? He, I think, he, I don't he, think he had it in him, But he, 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 he's,
0: he's, his reputation he is a bully, right? Yeah, yeah, I that, mean,
2: I just... Oh, look, I, I don't... I, and I don't mean to suggest that the Howard government was all bad. I've been around long enough to know that yeah. they were a good government. They probably, by that stage, you've been around for that long, you just start making sloppy, inconsiderate decisions and you start
1: believing your own like bullshit a bit. intervention.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and other matters and the way they reacted, all that black armband view of history. So yeah, like, yeah, it's all yeah. bullshit. It was just like... And work You've choices. been around too long, That's... work choices, you need to go, guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and that was... For me, and I'm not suggesting that the, the 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 mission of the Labor Party is not important to me, but I guess yeah, I didn't grow up an incredibly politicized person. I yeah, think yeah. it was that was the crystallization point.
1: So, so when you got to the point where you were working on the 2007 campaign against this, you know, this Howard Howard Everest that you know had had never been conquered by anyone over the past 10 to 15 years, was there a point where you were like we could actually fucking do this. Um, no, we not it. until the very, very end. Like I think others around
2: us saw it earlier, but yeah. we. I mean, I worked on '04 and people. When Latham, I don't people forget when Latham first came in. Yeah. Like he was like you know he was wrong footing Howard left right and centre and people were like oh we've got this one in the bag. He had some he but, had some momentum. Yeah yeah. And, and, no, he blew it yeah. up well before the election. Was but that the handshake. Yeah. yeah. The, the handshake, the handshake was the. That was the the cherry on the cake <laughs> for a little while there. He was looking pretty good, you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, uh, yeah. and so yeah, and then, well, he's
0: he's doing all right now too. You know, he's he's, he's, he's um he's he's managed to recover from that yeah, that handshake, I guess. He's, he's um
2: he could maybe, yeah. maybe we should give him a column in the uh, in yeah. the paper. Yeah, we might we might interview him. I remember yeah. I was sitting in the campaign headquarters when when the paper came out that day, and a very experienced press sec was sitting next to me, and he just. We just we were there it's five AM in the morning, paper comes out with the photo <laughs> on it, and he looks at me and he said, If there was any doubt we are absolutely fucked, that is not erased. <laughs>
0: what was he thinking? Do you have any do you think he was coming in from that Westie, I'm gonna fuck this silver tail up, or was it? I don't oh, think he was was it. was it just no, he couldn't control right. himself? He yeah. thought he saw a cab driver.
1: <laughs> they had the dirt file open for him then. They yeah.
2: they went after him pretty hard yeah. and like they go after you. And the thing about what you probably maybe people don't understand is politics particularly being the leader or the like the opposition leader or the Prime Minister it's like a ginormous pressure cooker and what it does is it takes all the elements of your character and it but he excludes them out of you and it and it and it exaggerates them the good yeah. stuff and the bad stuff so like people who loved Rudd and saw him on Sunrise and thought he was so friendly and it and was an exaggerated version of Rudd's good parts yeah. but, and it's the same thing with the stuff that came out of Latham which was bad it's like it pushes, it pressures your character, mm. and it exaggerates every little fissure, good and bad, in your character. And so, anyone, I always say, look, basically, neither lionize these people as much as some people do, don't love them as much as the true lovers, but don't hate them as much as the true haters. And they're yeah. actually not that far. What about out of what about here. Latham right now?
0: What would you say? How, how would you say people should uh, could treat that? Um Legacy of the Labor Party, who's currently sitting on Facebook right now, calling well, look, people. I mean, <laughs> I know I'm snowflakes.
2: <laughs> he's yeah. not to my taste, like. But you know, it's a free country. Good on him. Get out there. He's got to make a living, and so yeah. it's not to my taste. But but ugh, look, you know, I, I don't. I just don't think politics is helped at all by just hating yeah. people on any chart. Like he's just a guy. He's trying to make a living. He's saying stuff that I don't agree in, but I don't care. Like, good yeah. on him. Like, if I saw him in the street, I'd say, "G'day, Mark. How are you?" You would. You
0: don't well, think um, there's people that are scared of him right now? People that are made, being made to feel like they are at risk because of him?
2: I don't. Uh, I, look, I'm not suggesting nothing has consequences. Yeah. Um. And and I, I just I just I'm not sure if it. He's at the point where I'd be like, you know, it's it's more important probably just to not bother engaging than yeah. it is important to engage and slap him down and promote some kind of aggressive yeah. like reply. It's just not worth that. Good on you. Do what you want to do. Um, not my style.
1: Yeah, right. All right. How about we talk life after the machine when, when politics ends for people, which it often has for ex-prime ministers, ex-staffers, um, even journalists who've, ended up working down there uh, from time to time. But are are you able to keep the values that you took down there? Can you take them into business? Like, uh, say, for example, if you went down there and worked for for the Labour Party, could you work for a stockbroker? You know, in the end, politics is a very...
2: It's you know Keating has this great line where he says every political career ends up being carried out in a box. The only question is are you poor bearers crying or not? And it's yeah. so true. Like <laughs> everyone just gets absolutely smashed, barreled, and the closer you get to the top, the worse the exit. And well, even if, even if Barnaby Joyce loses his job next week, yeah. I'd take a very serious bet that we have only seen Barnaby Mark One. There will be yeah. a Barnaby Mark Two, and I wouldn't be surprised if
1: there's yeah. a Barnaby Mark Three. He could be head of his. Um, head of his local branch of H and R Block in uh, yeah. Good Gollanensis, couldn't he? I think I he's suppose. more likely to be the next Corey Bernardi than he is. Yeah, right yeah, right. he had a party. Him <laughs> him. No yeah, point if with you were a uh, a Scott Ludlam, yeah. you know, where you're just, you know, you're a mid-ranking green. Yeah, dude. a lot of them go, so for look, it's funny. It's, uh, I mean, a lot of them
2: don't don't do a lot really. Like a lot of them, it's really hard for them, and I think yeah. it's because, like, except for Michael Baird, the former Premier of New South Wales. Campbell Newman former Premier of
0: Queensland they all seem to find a bit of work <laughs> well they no, both I'm had not, Jesus help them find no, them a job yeah, I'm not helps. breaking
2: out the banjo for them I'm just like it's <laughs> sort, of these, you know, you <laughs> sort of sad you see these you know you see these Anna Bly now the Bankers Association spoke go, what, what are you doing and they're just wandering dumb. around drinking coffee doing nothing basically but no Look, there's jobs to be done, and you see yeah. Peter Beattie's now the kind of on the NRL Commission. Yes, yeah, he like, was, he was the Premier during, during. Wayne's,
0: Wayne's Broncos, so he knows. <laughs> All right, back <laughs> there was only one yeah. team. <laughs> there was one team in Queensland, and they were. It was like Origin. It was yeah. just like Broncos. Whoa. Well, it was, was it was horrendous. Horrendous to watch. It I'm
2: was a Tigers fan. There's nothing worse. A That's, bunch you've had, you've of pumped a, up car thief Queensland footy players going around kicking everyone's arse. I every guess, week. It like was
0: horrendous. A, your rugby league That's kind of um, uh, uh, allegiances have probably. You've experienced similar things with rugby league, with the Catholic Church, <laughs> and the
2: Labor Party in the last ten years. Haven't you? Oh, so, mate, all these institutions reckon, are falling look, around you. I only ever had—I had three. three well, I had two three great institutions in my life, basically, until the age of thirty-seven. Was the, the Catholic Church and the Labor Party, and both of them basically gone through the greatest existential crisis mm. ever. So, if you're wondering why I'm wandering around, <laughs> and, and them, like, a complete idiot. idiot. Let's not, let's not forget Balmain, mate. mate. No one even. Main Tigers didn't have an existential crisis. they just, you know, they're trying About to... The, uh, they're, 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 having, they're having more of just a little minor crisis of self-confidence. Um,
0: well, we're going to actually finish on that note, I reckon. We'll finish no. with one more question. Um, as um, someone who knows the ropes, yep. when are you going to move to somewhere really shit like Ben Along? <laughs>
1: and uh, It's not shit in Benelong. No, well, it's, it's nice. like the only reason I
0: know about Benelong Is because of that American, Sydney American And that little dash they had for the by-election down there Which seems like a you neck-and-neck know, neck seat When is this uh, light-skinned Italian uh, platform uh, lobbyist magnate going to make a run? I dare
1: say, when Albo makes a cunt kind of himself, he can, <laughs> yeah, he can move into Grainer. I reckon.
2: Nah, look, it's not on my. That's, not on my, radar. that's my hot. I tip. Hate to
1: disappoint you. Or... I hate to disappoint you, but look, my view. You could is move north. You could move like north of the harbour, and you could try and hop into hockey seat, mate. I'm a bow boy.
2: I can't. I'm not going north. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Look, if I woke up one day and I had five things that were crystal clear in my mind I wanted to do, and the only way to get them done was to be in Parliament that's the day I'd start running, but I don't have that list and that's why I'm not running. right up.
0: Well, you can make a lot more money in the private sector anyway. So <laughs> yeah. thanks for joining us.
2: Um,
1: Always a pleasure. Mr. Harris. Thanks for coming down, Locke. Thanks, mate. Thanks. And that's it for us
0: down here in Desert Rock FM Koala Studios this afternoon with Clancy and Errol. Thank you to our guest, Lockie Harris. If you're listening via the podcast, please remember to subscribe and please review. We'd love five stars from you. That would really help us in our endeavor to climb to the top of this media landscape. Uh, Until next week, thanks for listening.
2: Here's a podcast that can help you get on track and grow your business with some handy tips from the experts. The Business Growth Podcast, a series inspired by ANZ's work with the Australian Centre for Business Growth at the University of South Australia, featuring some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and business owners like James Tynan, CEO of Startmate, David Worth, co-founder of Go Natural, Jodie Oster of Uber Eats and more. Download the Business Growth Podcast series today to start building a growth plan that's right for your business.